Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. I remember leaving home early that morning, making my way into the city. It actually started off as an incredibly beautiful day. 8.46 in the morning, I'm standing by this fax machine, and I hear this incredible explosion. Apparently, a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center here in New York City. It happened just... around town are being evacuated. The State Department has been evacuated. The White House just hit. Something else just hit. A very large plane just flew directly over my building. This is devastation. How many people... Devastatingly, an effective attack on the heart of this country. The plane struck a few floors above us. Fire breaks out around us, and we started crawling our way out of that place. We get to the stairwell when I see these hundreds of firemen and policemen one by one making their way up. We get to that lowest level. The ground begins to shake violently. I hear this incredible roar. The South Tower was finally imploding and going down. I'm lying there with my face flat on the ground. I thought I was gonna die. But I feel someone pull me. I realize this is an FBI agent. That's when I see this faint red light. We start crawling our way towards that light and that gets us out of ground zero. This brave FBI agent let go of my hand and his words are, you run ahead, I gotta go back, get more people. He runs back, the ground shakes, the North Tower implodes and goes down. This is the story of an incredible American hero. He represents many men and women like him who are willing to lay down their lives so that others like me are still around to be sharing our stories. taking time this weekend to honor first responders and we saw such a clear picture of their bravery. It took a national platform when the events of September 11, 2001 took place. As the towers came down, it was brave men and women who rose up and who showed us a picture, a picture of an extreme when it came to courage and bravery and love and sacrifice We saw two extremes that day and in the wake of the events of September 11, 2001. And I want to talk to you this morning about those two extremes. But before we do that, I want us to get an understanding of what we mean when we say today we're here to honor. This weekend, we're going to honor first responders. So to answer that question, what is a first responder? And you could say, Pastor, I think we get it. It's fire and police and EMS workers, these emergency people that, that, that are in these different branches Yes, but let's understand a bit deeper at the heart of what makes someone a first responder, and it really is, very simply. When everyone else is running out, they're the ones that run in to the mess, and they're the ones that sacrifice. The oath that they have taken is to honor, protect, keep peace, to serve us. What a great opportunity we have, church, to this weekend to serve those who serve us well, amen? To serve those who serve us. 
And in so doing, we're serving the Lord. And then through that, a first responder at the core is ultimately addressing something that, that I so deeply appreciate. You see, we're a church and we understand what our mission is. But at the heart of every mission of every first responder is this idea that they are really stepping in to battle brokenness in this world and to combat the worst forms of evil in this world. They've taken an oath so that they could battle the brokenness that exists in this world. Do I have to convince you this morning that we have a world that has become broken in many ways? They're here to battle that brokenness, to bring healing, to bring safety, to bring rescue. They're here to battle the worst forms of evil. We saw the extreme of that evil and the events that unfolded 15 years ago today. Those first responders, many, in that oath that's taken is a willingness for them to sacrifice of themselves, not just of their time, but for some even of their lives. And we have those that have laid down their lives in service to another. Here's what the Bible says clearly. Jesus said these very words in John chapter 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, that's it, the greater love. That's one of the greatest expressions of love in this entire world. But here's, here's what gets me about first responders and about those that we saw rush into the flames on September 11, 2001, those that rushed into the rubble, those that inhaled the ash and the smoke and the soot, that they did not get the call and say, well, do I know them? Am I related to them? Is it a friend of mine? They did it for complete strangers, church. They did it for those. Jesus said, greater love has done this. Someone laid down his life for his friends. But we have those that lay down their lives for people that they don't even know. What great sacrifice. What great love. What great honor. So we're thankful. We're thankful that you're here with us. I'm thankful that I see a bunch of them with their badges. Thank you for sitting right here um, today and being with us in this service. We appreciate all that you have done and all that you continue to do to protect to respond. And we go back. We're going to see two extremes today that I want to talk to you about. And the first is an extreme that came as 9 o'clock rolled around on that Tuesday morning. By that time, it was in full swing, the effects of what were taking place on the Twin Towers and then in two other parts of our country in Pennsylvania and at the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. We learned something. We changed as a nation 15 years ago today. We learned a lot. We learned how quickly our peace can dissipate. We learned how suddenly our whole world can be shaken. We learned how abruptly things that seem so stable, so tall, so firm could come crashing down. We learned how precious life really is. And we learned that none of us are guaranteed another moment in this life. We learned a lot on that day. Fifteen years ago, through this tragedy, we saw an extreme. We saw an extreme expression of brokenness, of sin, of evil. That's really so at the core of so much of the brokenness. We saw the extreme of that as lives, innocent lives, were taken. Innocent lives are passengers going from one place to another. Innocent lives of those who are going to work every single day to provide for their families. 
innocent lives of people just like you and me. But something happened on that day. As our nation was rocked to the core, we got a picture of something. And Sujo, as he's gone around, the man that I told you had a chance to speak this past Friday and whose video you saw just a few moments ago, he shared that in the midst of him being right there in the 84th first floor of the North Tower of the World Trade Center, as that impact happened, as smoke came billowing in, as jet fuel came down the elevator shaft and began to flow onto his floor, as he saw fire all around him and smoke engulfing him and those around him, as he saw people that jumped out of windows and plunged to their death, he said in that moment, he came to the reality of his mortality. And I want to talk to you about that today. Because it's in that extreme where you see death and destruction, where you see evil of many different forms, you are reminded of the brokenness that exists in this world. And you see, the Bible has a lot to say about that. The newspaper has a lot to say about it. The, the news, if you turn it on, you'll see stories of brokenness, stories of pain, stories of, of, of all kinds of different things unfolding. But if you go all the way back in the Bible, it was written thousands of years ago, we see where it began. And we see that this world we live in is broken and you say, Pastor, why do you keep using that word? Because something as broken is not as it was created to be, right? Not as it was originally intended to be. All the way back in the book of Genesis, we saw that God had a very different plan, a very different purpose for our world and for humanity. He created us with purpose. He created us to have a relationship. He created us, and if you could imagine with me, friends, that it was a time where there was an absence of sickness, of the things that even our first responders respond to, that there was a time in God's original plan and purpose for this world that those things would not exist. Could you imagine a world where death was not a reality? This is what the Bible says. And yet, sin entered the picture. To sin is to miss the mark, is to turn a different way. God created us for relationship, and yet the response was to turn away from him, to break his law, to break his relationship, and to turn away. And when we did that, it fractured the world around us. And as that happened, that fracture ripples out through, and that brokenness was seen in the Bible. You can read about it as early as Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of that Bible. It's very long from there. All the way through to the end, we see there's this issue of sin that really results in brokenness all around us. See, death is a natural result of sin. It's a natural outpouring, an outflow of sin, of the problem of brokenness in this world. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says that the wages of sin is death, the reality of, of it, the end result of sin, the end of the road is death. That is now a reality. There's the reality of mortality because of the brokenness in this world. And we saw, when you saw the extreme of that on September 11, 2001, what did it result in? It resulted in death. Sin will always lead to death. That evil will always lead to death. That is the goal. That is the, the end result. But guess what? Death is a reality for every single one of us. Even if we would never live through some form of that in our own lives, each one of us, there is a time that is, that is destined for us that we will leave this life. And none of us, have an ability for us to calculate or know precisely when that day is. There are many of those. Some of you sitting right here, you know exactly what that is. There are people that you respond to, some that have not made it, some that have not lived 
As a pastor, I've done more funerals than I would like to tell you of people that we thought just had a lot more time. Some of you have attended funeral services of people you thought too young, too soon. Too soon. It's a reality that we live with in this broken world. We see it. Death is now a reality. We look at that. We can see that. And we can understand that because it's a law. It's actually something. It's a reality that we live in. It's something that is unchangeable. When you think about laws... You could think about them in two different ways. And I want to actually give you a picture of this to help us understand. When you think about a law, a reality, you have the law of the stop sign or you have the law of fire. Now let me just help you understand this. We have a few first responders in the room. I think you're going to be able to appreciate this. If you're on a busy street and you're getting a lot of phone calls about this street, people are speeding down it, there are children that are there, it's an intersection where people are crossing by a lot, well, a group could convene and make a legislation, make a plan, make a decision, and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put up a stop sign at an intersection on that street. And so then that body, maybe it's a police department, maybe it's some council, would come together and decide that it would go there, that there would then be a penalty if that law was broken, and they could decide if it's $10. Some of us would like that if it was $10, wouldn't you? And if you don't wait there for three seconds, it is three seconds, right? I sure hope it's three seconds. If you're not waiting there just the right amount of time, if you break that law, if you pass through that stop sign, then there's a consequences associated with that. That's a law. And that's what happens when a law is broken. Now, at some point in time, that same group of people could come together. Maybe a new road has been built. Perhaps there's some change in circumstance. And they could say, you know what? We're going to decide now that no one will be fined for passing through this stop sign. In fact, we can even decide to get rid of the stop sign altogether. And guess what? When they do that, the stop sign's gone. The law has changed. It could be as severe or as minimal as they would like. You could break that and Someone could pull you over, and if you're there and you pull any of us over, maybe you'll give us a warning, right? But there is an ability to really make determinations in the hands of legislation and those that have that authority. So let's take that idea and let's bring it over to the law of fire. Now, could you imagine with me that any of the firefighters in the room, could you imagine that you would come together and you realize, you know what, too many people are getting burned by fire, there's too many issues that are associated with the heat of fire. And so we need to convene a council, and here's what we're going to come together to decide. That fire is too hot, and therefore we are going to decide that it will no longer burn anyone. I'm going to tell you, you can send that to the Supreme Court if you want to. You can get every person and every political persuasion to come into complete agreement and say, it has been decided. Fire will no longer burn people. We have changed the law of fire. And guess what? The first person to leave that room believing it and reaching their hand into a flame is going to be very, very disappointed. Do you get it? It's different. The law of fire works much differently than the law of the stop sign. But you see the penalty, the consequence of it is bound up within it. So with that very idea, this is, a, this is an unchangeable law. This is a part of the fabric of the world that we live in now. In the same way, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means that the end result of sin is always death. The end result of our life now is always death in this life and in this world. There's really no escaping of that in this life, in this world. And so that's how that works. That's what the Bible teaches. And we see the extreme of that. And when we go through a crisis, when we go through a difficulty or a challenge, you are faced 
with the reality that one day your life will come to an end. And it's in those moments how you respond that makes all the difference. You see, on September 11, 2001, people were faced with the reality of their mortality. And as they're faced with that, there's all kinds of things you can do in response to it. Some, there was such a sense of hopelessness in that situation that they saw the only recourse was to jump, was to jump out of the building and plummet to their death. For others, they tried their very hardest. They wanted to live. They did everything they could and yet they were not able to survive. They couldn't make it out, even though they had their greatest efforts. In others, they could become completely paralyzed by the fear, being overwhelmed, or even by the hopelessness of that situation, and just not do anything, just give up right there in that moment. Now, I'm describing what happened 15 years ago, but those are still the natural responses when you are faced with that kind of crisis and that kind of ability to realize the end could come at any moment. I can remember in my own life that as I grew up, one of my earliest memories when I was six years old was me sitting on a couch in my parents' living room. At the time, my parents were married and we lived in a home. It was a few years before my parents actually uh, were divorced and our, and our family split up. And I can remember sitting there and I was crying. It's really one of the first memories I have as a child. And my parents came to me and they said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm afraid to die. Six years old. So remember, I remember the pattern of our couch looked like. And they said, well, you don't have to be worried about that. And I said, I'm worried because I don't know what's going to happen when I die. What does that mean? And the reason I was asking these kind of questions was my great-grandmother had just passed away. And I think that was the first time in my life at a young age I was faced with the reality of mortality. Like, like we weren't expecting this. We don't know what's going on. And, and in that moment, you're faced with this fear that can come over you. What's going to happen? I still remember that fear. Because I actually grew up with that in some sense. Some of you, maybe you realize it as well. At that time, I didn't go to church and I didn't um, read the Bible, but since then I have. Uh, you'd hope so because I'm speaking to you today, right? <laughs> but it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, I came across this verse of Scripture, and I think it really described my life. Maybe it describes where you've been. And it says, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Never seen it before, but as I read it, I thought, man, I, I know exactly what that's about. And perhaps some of you who risk your lives every single day, you, you operate with that fear, with that reality of your own mortality because you've seen it time and time again. Maybe others of you lost someone near and dear to you or someone's received a diagnosis and you've just come face to face with it. Maybe you're the one that has but you're there and you, you just have now this fear that has, has really like held you down, held you in bondage, held you almost in slavery and trapped you. Just a crippling fear of, of death. I know what that was like because I experienced it in my own life. As I came to terms with that, as I realized it, how I responded was just to push it away and not think about it. In fact, I introduced things into my own life that would kind of numb away that pain, that would kind of help remove it and keep me focused on other things. I just didn't want to think about it. No one wants to think about pondering their own death or the time that would come in their own life when it would end. No one wants to think about that. And in fact, that was the advice my parents gave me. It's a long time away. Don't worry about it. Some of you are sitting here now and you're a long ways from six years old. And maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, but you're realizing, even as I'm speaking, the reality of my own mortality. Wow. Your friends, you have people that have gone ahead of you already that you expected 
would still be around and they're not there. So I, I experienced that. I, I operated. I lived in that kind of same fear. I lived in that same kind of fear that many people lived in, the same fear that Sujo himself lived in as he was afraid for his own mortality and then for his wife who was working the other tower that morning on September 11th. And as Sujo began to rush down, he made it a ways down. It took him an hour and 20 minutes to go down those flights of stairs to get down to the plaza level. And by the time he was down there and they were just trying to get out, they heard this incredible sound. They said the, the ground beneath him began to shake and the south tower came down. And then he, he and those around him were buried in ash and debris and soot, smoke everywhere. They couldn't see anything. And before long, he and those around him, they just committed themselves to realizing this is the end. My life is over. I will not survive this. In fact, Sujo said he prayed a prayer that sounds silly right now. But he said, Lord, I know that I'm going to die. I ask that you'd send something soft to kill me. Let something soft fall on me. It was in that moment that we could realize that we can come, that there could just become such a sense of hopelessness. I walk through my life. You see, I told you what it was like when I was six, but guess what? When I was 16 years old, I had that same sense of hopelessness. I had tried to drown it out with drugs and with all kinds of other things that I, I would just chase after whatever my friends around me would be into, and I couldn't find any wholeness in any of it. In fact, I just walked away from even those things. Even, even the drugs and those things had failed me. I was like, I'm done with you too. I'm not going to do that because I just can't find anything to satisfy what's going on. I felt such a sense of it inside. And by the time we reached 2001, three months before those towers fell, I wasn't here in New York City or in New Jersey. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in Western PA, about 45 minutes from where Flight 93 hit. And as I was there, I remember right where I was in a classroom at a technical school, standing there looking. Does anyone remember there used to be these TVs? They were like wide. They, didn't, they weren't flat like this. <laughs> wide. Staring at one hanging from the ceiling. Watching. In amazement, what would happen? I remember right where I was that day. But I have another memory that's three months earlier than then when I was standing in my basement. And I was feeling this kind of sense of hopelessness, wondering what my life kind of was really about. I had no purpose. I had no real deep sense. I was very empty on the inside. And I had received an invitation from a friend. He was a Christian. And he invited me to go to a camp with him. We were both teenagers at the time. He invited me to go with him to a, to a church camp. And I still don't know to this day why I said yes. I think it had to do with a girl. I do. Um, but I said yes, and I went with him. But... Um, by the time it was time to go, I was very much regretting my decision. And I went, and um, I remember I was an atheist at the time. I didn't believe in God, didn't believe he wanted anything to do with me. I was battling some of these kind of feelings that I had been describing to you. And I went, and something happened. Long before I ever saw the heroics of the brave men and women that rushed into the flames and rushed into the fire and put their lives on the line, even laid down their lives. Three months before any of those things happened, I had an experience in my own life that changed me forever. See, I'd heard a story. It was about a first responder. A bit different than, than the stories that we've heard regarding 9-11, but yet I felt the same, the same kind of sense of sacrifice and honor. In fact, he was the first first responder ever. Uh, he was the first one ever to respond to the brokenness in this world and the same issues that our first responders 
give their lives to go after every single day. I sat in a room and I listened for the first time. It was on a Tuesday, just like a few months later it would be on a Tuesday for September 11th. And on a Tuesday evening, I sat there and I heard these words said to me. And it was like I was like being buried in my life. I had so much stuff that just kind of kept me very hopeless and I'm, I'm being buried by those things. I can't see clearly. I have no clarity. I don't know what, what I'm doing and where I'm going. And I heard these words. And maybe I'd heard them before. Maybe you have, but they took on new significance and they take on new significance today. It's about a God that had dispatched a first responder that could rescue me. And here's what it said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That God sent us, when he knew the issues of brokenness and hopelessness that flooded into our world, that apart, there was no way that we could ever escape death. That he sent his son. We have a first, first responder, and his name is Jesus, and he came. The Bible says he came. And he came so that we wouldn't perish, but that we could have eternal life, eternal life. And I thought, well, you know what? That, like, that doesn't sound like, like God. I, I know of a God that like, is all about judgment and all about looking down and all about like, being against everything, but it only took one more verse for me to see differently. It said, for God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And I finally got a picture for the first time. I saw that he wasn't there looking at me in my mess and judging me for my shortcomings, but that he actually came and he entered into my mess with a message. And here's the message. It's called the good news that there can be freedom. I'm ready to bring you freedom into your life. That there could be forgiveness for whatever your past has been about. That there is a new life that's in stand right ahead of you. And then I was willing to lay down my life so that you could find life. I learned that Jesus came, that he lived 2,000 years ago, that he walked this earth. I went to the exact, I traveled a few years ago right there in Israel where Jesus walked, where he went, where he talked with people, where he healed some, where he spoke to multitudes. And then I went into the very place that he was marched up onto a hill and he was crucified. He was nailed to a tree. He bled and he died. Not a fairy tale, a person there. The son of God that was sent, that was born into this world, that then died on the cross, was buried. He tasted death, the Bible says. In fact, right there in Hebrews 2, when it talks about how could we be set free from the fear of death? Because of what Jesus did. He's the one, it's only by this, by him dying for us, could we be set free. And on the third day, we know it as Easter Sunday, church, Every other tomb that day was full. Every other one that had passed away before, they had never seen something like this. The stone that was in front of that tomb had been rolled away, and Jesus that had died had been risen from the dead. And when he did that, he overcame death. He tasted death, and then he defeated death. Can you imagine that? That no longer, like, 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 like no longer is death a reality, Jesus said. This is what God's word says, like no longer is death a reality. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And then he said also in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. That's what he's talking about, eternal life. 
you know, like I didn't know as I was six years old, what is life beyond this life? Is there anything? Yes, there is. The Bible promises it. People have passed and have had those visions of it. We never think about eternity. We never prepare ourselves for that next step. So many, we don't ever prepare for the biggest steps that are ahead of us. That's the biggest step, the step between this and the grave. Are we prepared for that? When faced with that, the reality of our own mortality. Jesus died so that we could live. And if we put our faith in him, he said, I went to prepare a place for you. And if I did, then I'll receive you to myself. There's a promise of heaven and eternity. But he said, there's only one way. It's no other way but through him, through trusting in him, because he's the only one. You can hear a lot of religion, you hear a lot of talk. There's only one God that came down, was born in this world, and that died on a cross for you. There's so many others that say, come and do this for me. Come in judgment. He's the only one that did it. He came, he died, he laid down his life. The first, first responder that stepped into our mess with a message of good news, a message of rescue. Here's the good news. I told you half of it. That's the bad news. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God, come on, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wage of sin is death. That's a reality. But there's a gift that God has given. He's given in his son. It's a gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Jesus, the first, first responder. I heard that news. Like I heard that news that day on that Tuesday night in June of 2001. And my world has never been the same. That fear of death that I told you about, gone. That I could have a hope that I could have a hope that I know and I'm secure that if my last day was today, I know where I'll be. I put my trust in him. And I heard these words. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. And you'll see it throughout the Bible and a few other places that everyone, everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. Could you imagine with me I mean, as Sujo shared his stories, so many of those that find themselves in that life or death situation, they're walking through, they're trying to get through all of the smoke, all the debris, all the soot. Sujo was there, like I told you, he had resolved to the fact that his life was over, his wife was dead. She was four months pregnant with a child. He had just resolved, it's all done. But you know what happened in that moment as he's laying there preparing to die? Someone reaches out and grabs his arm. And when he looks up, he sees the letters F-B-I. And he calls out to him, and they begin to pray, because he's a believer as well. Both of them, they believe in the Lord, they trust in the Lord, but they're preparing for the end. And just at that moment, they look over, and they see a red light that's flashing through all the smoke, through all the, it was an ambulance that debris had fallen on and crushed, but it was still operating enough to send one light. The Bible says Jesus is the light of the world that shines in the darkness. And they ran towards that light. They crawled towards it. They came out. They got two blocks away, and that FBI agent turned around, and he said, you go on. I'm going back in. And as he ran back in, he was swallowed up in the next building, collapsing. He gave up his life so he could go and rescue others. Do you know Jesus, the first first responder, he gave up his life to rescue you, to save you, to give you a hope, to give you a future, to give you forgiveness, to give you a brand new life. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, it describes this promise that God has. And here's what it says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Although the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. 
nor will the flame burn you. Do you know there is one that could even change? He could even change the law of fire. He, you know, he went into the flames for you. He wasn't scorched. He overcame the flames of hell to rescue us out of an eternity separated from God. That's what he did for us. And everyone, the Bible says, who calls upon his name will be saved. I'm gonna invite Pastor Rick and the team to come and join me. On that day, there was one brave man that you will find out is the only FBI officer that perished on that day in that tower falling. He was the one, Lenny Hatton, that had rushed down and had saved Sujo's life so that he could live to tell his story. There was one that came for you, no other, Jesus, to rescue you and to give you a brand new life. I told you that we're talking about two extremes. We see the extreme of death and of destruction and of evil and brokenness in this world through the events of what we saw on September 11, 2001. But on the other end, we saw the extreme of courage and of sacrifice and of the ability for one to even lay down his life to save another. And I want you to know that one of them is a picture of sin and brokenness and the others, we see a literal illustration of what Jesus has done for you. Do you realize, first responders in the room, do you realize this? What you seek to do every single day for others that Jesus has already done for you? Do you realize that? That what you do to even be willing to lay down your life, he's already laid down his life for you to rescue you, to save you, to save each one of us. And whoever calls upon his name can experience that. Whoever cries out, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what has marred your past, no matter what shame you have in your life, no matter what you think of yourself privately, I want you to know this, that God loves you. And that when I say everyone, I believe everyone that is willing to call on his name will be saved. What a tragedy would it be for anyone among us to spend our whole lives and even those of you that are in public service, spending your lives to serve and to even save others to reach the end of your life and not know the answer to the question, have I been saved? What a tragedy would that be? To spend your whole life rescuing others to find yourself not rescued in the end. Here's the invitation. Are you willing to call upon his name? Can this be a day? Maybe you walk, you're walking through what I've walked through. Maybe you feel some of the same hopelessness that we've described and you feel stuck. Maybe you've been numbing it with all kinds of other things, but I want you to know there's only one answer. It's Jesus and he's here and he wants to meet and have a relationship with you. Are you willing to call upon his name? And with every head bowed, every eye closed in this, in this room, this is a moment between you and him. Not you and me, not you and the person next to you. Between you and him are you like me that small child that's just wondering what is going to happen at the end of my life I want you to know today you could leave here with a certainty in your heart having received Jesus as your first responder as your savior but you need to be willing to acknowledge that for me that defining moment that was the defining moment in my life it was a moment that changed everything, but it called for a, a decision, a decisive action on my part. I had to be willing to step out. I had to be willing to do something to make that decision, to not stand on the fence, to not go back and forth, but to know that I know that I was ready to take that step forward. So I'm not gonna ask you to stand if that's you. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. I'm just gonna ask you to acknowledge before the Lord that that is you. And the way that you're going to do that in just a moment, I'm just going to ask you just to lift a hand above your head. 
and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And that will be between you and the Lord. If you're watching online today or in any other form, no matter where you're sitting, don't let this moment pass you by. Don't worry about who's on your left and on your right. It's a moment between you and him. So if you're within the sound of my voice and you're ready to take that step, I would ask you right now, wherever you're sitting, to lift your hand right above your head so I can see it. If that's you, lift your hand up right where you're at. No one's looking around. Amen. All around, I see hands going up. Is there anyone else? If that's you, just lift your hand right above your head. Amen. I see hands going up all around. Anyone else? Just for one more minute, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed in this moment right now. Is there anyone else? Don't let this moment pass you by. Praise God. What we're going to do right now is we're going to pray. Hands are going up all around the room. If that's you and there's that moment that's right there, don't stand on the fence. But I want you to say this prayer from the bottom of your heart. I want you to repeat these words with me. And as you say them, this is you making a commitment to turn to Jesus, to call upon his name. So repeat these words with me. Say them from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I call upon your name to save me, to rescue me from my sins, from my brokenness, from my shame. I turn to you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for responding. Thank you for dying for my sins. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. Can we give it up for those that have made that decision today? Praise God. One of our ushers are going to come. They're going to hand you a book. What you're receiving is just a, it's a copy of the Bible. It's, a, it's our gift to you. We want you to uh, know that we're so excited about the decision that you've made and we're ready to walk with you and help you in any way that we can. But we praise God. I want you to know, not only do we celebrate, the Bible says heaven celebrates when we turn to him. And so church, can we celebrate that one more time? Come on. Praise God. Praise God and praise God. Would you stand with me today? We can all stand together in this room, all of us. What a day and what a morning. It's really just getting started. Right after this service, we're going to enjoy a great community-wide picnic. But we're going to spend just a little bit more time here in one final song closing out. And here's what I'm going to do. We have prayer workers. These are people that are here that just want to do nothing more than to pray for you. I'm going to invite some of our pastors, uh, some of those that are going to be here just to stand across the front. If any of our pastors, if I have any of our deacons or elders, if you wouldn't mind coming up and standing across the front, these are leaders that would love to pray with you, uh, to talk with you. Uh, and there's going to be one final song that the choir is going to do for us. Uh, and they're going to sing this out. And this is going to be an opportunity for us just to respond to what's happening. Maybe you want to stand in your seat. You want to just sing along. Uh, and then we'll all be dismissed together. Or perhaps you want to come forward. We could pray for you if you're walking through a circumstance in your life. If something that's been said today touches you and, and you just need someone to pray with, we're here for you. Um, and maybe today's the day that you made that decision to follow Jesus. We'd love to celebrate that with you. So whatever it is, feel free during this last song to come forward. And anyone else, let's just all sing out together and let's truly celebrate where our help comes from in the Lord.